One of the advantages of living a little longer is that you, uh, you get to see certain things change. One of the things that I've seen change is, is a, a, a TV series ends up becoming a movie. Then it becomes a movie series, all right? And then people think, oh, these guys wrote a brand new movie series, when in reality, all they're doing is replicating what happened in the TV series. And when I was eight years old, a new TV series came on, and my family would watch it together because it was always aired on Saturday night. And all of my friends watched this series when I was an elementary age student, and, and so it was, it was kind of fun uh, to, to be able to communicate with them because, you see, there were certain TV shows that my friends watched that I didn't get to watch because I was a Church of God preacher's kid. And as a Church of God preacher's kid, we had Sunday night church at either 6 or 7 o'clock, and at 6 or 7 o'clock on Sunday night, I was always in church. They were watching, you know, their favorite TV show, the Disney the shows, all of these type things. But, uh, but not me. Nope, I was in church. But on Saturday night, on Saturday night, this show would come on. Um, and, and they've now made a series of movies out of it so that even those of you who are younger are going to understand what I'm talking about. That's, the, that's why I'm talking about it this morning, okay? So here's what it is. The, 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 this TV show was called Mission Impossible. Do, do, do you, you, you've seen these movies, right? Maybe you've seen the TV show on some of the old cable networks that they're showing the old TV shows. And, and what I, I loved about the show was a couple of things. First of all, every week the, the guy would get his mission on, on, and in the TV show, he would get it on a reel-to-reel tape player, okay? Some of you don't even know what that is, okay? But, but it would, would come out, and, and, when it would, and then the, the, he would always get the mission, and then it would be in 30 seconds, this, this is about to self-destruct. And it would blow up, or it would do something. And that was, to me, that was almost as much fun as watching. It's like, how are they going to get rid of this mission tape that they've got? But the, the phrase that became famous for it is one I want you to help me with today, okay? Uh, because the, the, the phrase, some of you are in your head, you've already, some of you are hearing the music, and others of you are already hearing this phrase, all right? Here's, here's the phrase, all right? Your mission, what's the next part? If you choose to accept it. Okay, you can, you can help, help the preacher today. Those of you who are at home watching online, you can actually say it out loud with us too, all right? So here, here is your mission if you choose to accept it. So now, that's a really interesting phrase, isn't it? Your mission if you choose to accept it. We've been looking at the story of the early church in the book of Acts. We've been looking at the way that Jesus spent time with the disciples and, and shared with them all of the Old Testament teachings about who He was and opened their mind to Scriptures that they thought they knew, and, and then how He sent His Holy Spirit to be with them while they waited in Jerusalem. And, and one of the things that He told them was before He left, in fact, the very last thing He said to them was, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the world. And over the last few weeks, as we've been in this Recalibrate series, we've been discovering what it means to recalibrate, just like the early church did. Those early disciples there in Jerusalem, when they faced opposition, and they were brought in front of the Sanhedrin, and, and they were brought in front of the council, and they were told, don't talk about Jesus to people, and yet they couldn't help talking about Jesus to people, because Jesus had changed everything in their life. 
And as we start looking at what it means to have our hearts recalibrated, our integrity recalibrated, our servanthood recalibrated, all of our life in, in recalibrated, I keep hearing in the, in the back of my mind that, that phrase, your mission, if you choose to accept it. And in the, in the life of the early church, there was that, that pivot point where the church, the church had to choose whether or not to accept the recalibration. Because as we discovered last week, it got really personal with Stephen. It got really intense when, when Stephen was brought before the council. Stephen wasn't one of the twelve. He was, he was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit and full of the grace of God who was willing to serve the widows, who was willing to, to help in a crisis in the church and, and to do what he was asked to do. And, and, and in response, God used him in great ways. But then as God used him in great ways, the, the Sanhedrin and the council, as we saw last week, were offended and they brought him in and they said, no, you can't do that. And then they stoned him to death. And you would think, wouldn't you, that if you've got the Son of God giving you a mission someone you've watched be resurrected from the dead, and then He fills you with His Spirit and says, hey, here's what I want you to do, that, that it would be your mission and you would choose to accept it. But up until the death of Stephen, the church had no idea how large the mission was. And the reason I, I want us to talk about the story this morning is because I think maybe now that we've passed six months in our culture of the covid 19 global pandemic. For it was six months ago on Friday that, that the World Health Organization declared a, a global pandemic related to this virus. And it's been six months that, that churches all over this nation and all over the world and businesses and, and every part of culture has had to recalibrate what we're doing. I would, I would think that maybe, just maybe, the early church could show us that, that sometimes Sometimes the mission that we fail to accept is the mission God designed for us. And when we fail to accept it, we fail to do what He created us to do. But if, if we will allow Him to recalibrate us, if we will allow Him to, to look into our life and open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts and open our minds so that we can look at the world in a different way, we can look around us and see opportunity. We can see the fact that it's still God's mission and we can still choose to accept it. That maybe, just maybe, the recalibration could be something that would bring about more of an awakening spiritually, more of a revival spiritually than we could have ever dreamed possible prior to the pandemic. I mean, is it possible? Is it just maybe possible that out of this horrible situation, out of 28 million people becoming ill around the world in the last six months, that maybe out of that, God might be able to bring something good for those of us who serve Him, something good for people who choose to accept the mission? I mean, isn't that what Paul was trying to tell us? Paul, who was Saul, Saul who was at the death of Stephen, Saul who was holding the cloaks of the people who were stoning Stephen, Saul who was in literally agreement with the fact that Stephen was being killed, that same man would years later write that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, not even a pandemic. That same Saul who became Paul would, would write 
that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from that love. And that, get this, all things, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. Maybe, just maybe, our mission, if we choose to accept it, is not to, is not to run around like Chicken Little crying that the sky is falling and the earth is going away and, and everything that we've known is now terrible, but, but now instead to look into the terribleness of this pandemic and look into the heartfelt hurt of a society that has been racked with pain and see that there's still a mission. And our mission, if we choose to accept it, is to let God recalibrate us so that we can fulfill His mission in a new world, fulfill His mission in a new set of circumstances. That's what happened for the early church. The story is recorded for us in Acts chapter 8. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. It's right after the stoning of Stephen, the death of Stephen, where Stephen says to God as he's dying, please don't hold this sin against them. Don't, don't hold this against these people, but instead let them see you. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, Luke tells us, and Saul, who became Paul, approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the twelve apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and, and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. There was much joy in a city in Samaria because some people who had been changed, whose lives had been recalibrated by Jesus, had found their new mission. It's an interesting thing, this recalibration. It, it doesn't come easy. Recalibration isn't just something where we wish it or we say, hey, I want to change and go this way. No, recalibration, it, it, it reforms us. It, it reconfigures us. And in fact, uh, it actually does it in a painful way. Recalibration requires painful reconfiguration in our life. You can't go about business as normal when God needs to recalibrate you. The, the recalibration of the church is, is not just a, a recapitulation of all the things that we've known all these years and saying them over and over and over again and louder and louder and louder so that maybe somebody will hear them. No, 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 that's not what we have to do when the world changes and culture shifts. Now, what we're called to do, what we're called to do is to, is to enter into the pain, is to see what God is doing in the midst of the pain, and to allow God to, to change us and use us to change others. Look again at the Scriptures that I read for you. 
And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. You see, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the, of the reconfiguration that that pain was causing in their life, these, these disciples, these people who had come to know Jesus, these people whose lives had been redirected and recalibrated by Jesus, now suddenly they, they didn't see being scattered as a curse. They didn't see being, being scattered as a punishment. They, they didn't see being scattered as something that they had caused to happen by their disobedience. No, no, they saw being scattered as an opportunity, an opportunity to stand up for God. You say, Pastor, how, how do you know that? Because what Luke tells us is that some devout men, followers of Jesus, Hellenistic Jews who, who were a part of this community of faith, this new group of believers called Christians, the, the, these men not only buried Stephen, but when they buried Stephen, they made loud lamentation over Stephen. Now, can I tell you what that means? In the Jewish faith, there, there is a, a mourning and burial ritual. There's a lamentation. There are scriptures that are, that are shouted out loud. There are actions that are taken. It's a way of showing that your heart is grieved for that person. It's a part of the culture. I don't know if you've ever been in a culture where there is a, a lamentation that's given over someone who dies. In, several years ago, I was in West Africa to teach at the West Africa Bible Institute. And shortly before I arrived there, one of, one of my friends, a, a man who's preached in this congregation, Pastor, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Daniel died very unexpectedly at, in his mid-40s. His family asked if, if, I, if, if, I could, if I could be the one to preach his funeral, and they would hold the body until I arrived. And, and so I was a part of his going home celebration, his, his heavenly gathering celebration. And, and I learned some things about West African culture. And uh, there, there's, this, there's this phrase. It's a word, really. It's a word that, that means I'm with you in the pain. Yagol! Yagol! And every time someone would enter into Daniel's house where his widow Zita was there, they would yell these words, whether they were Muslim or Christian, whether they were a pagan or, or, or a follower of Jesus. It, it didn't really matter. They, they would always enter. And, that, and I, I finally, I, I looked at Larry and Leanne Sellers, my host, and I said, what is this meaning of this word? And they said, there's really no translation. It's just simply this, this sense that there is a lamentation happening, that there's sorrow, and I'm with you in your pain. And that's what these men were doing in Jerusalem after Stephen was stoned by the Sanhedrin and the council. And do you realize how much courage it took for them to walk through the streets of a city lamenting a man who had been condemned to death by the holiest people? It, it, it might be the same as lamenting someone who's been killed unjustly in our culture today. It means that there's a painful reconfiguration of everything that we are if we're really going to be recalibrated. And can I tell you something? We're not the first people to face this. One of my favorite quotes 
comes from an author and speaker who passed away a few years ago. Her name was Corey Tim Boone. Some of you will remember her. She was a victim of the Nazi regime and incarcerated in a prison camp, a death camp. In fact, many of her family members were killed. And, and yet somehow she survived as a little girl. And throughout her life, she talked about the fact that when she came to know Jesus, it changed everything in her life. And she had a quote, one that I find particularly helpful in this six-month pandemic. It, it, it says simply this, when you're riding the train and the train goes into a tunnel and the darkness surrounds you, that is not the time to jump off the train. That is the time to sit still and trust the engineer. What the early church was teaching us is that painful reconfiguration is a part of the recalibration that God does in us. And so when we face things that we don't expect and we run into situations that are hurtful and harmful and, and we're trying to figure out what's going on, it's not time to jump off the train. It's time to trust the engineer. That's what these disciples did. That they began to do something we refer to as missional living. Missional living is the response of Jesus' disciples to the painful reconfiguration that was going on in their life and their world. It, it's real simple. They were scattered to the very places they had been commissioned to go, but they weren't going because they were having so much fun in Jerusalem. They were having so much fun celebrating God and seeing God do miracles. And God was doing so much in the early church in Jerusalem that somebody somewhere just kind of forgot about the fact that Jesus said, you're to be my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But after the stoning of Stephen, after the death of Stephen, after the, after the recalibration now, in the midst of that painful reconfiguration, uh, they're scattered, and they've got a choice, just like you've got a choice. For those of you who are on campus, or those of you who are online, or those of you who watch us on demand, for any believer or follower in Jesus Christ and His ministry here on earth, right now, in our time frame, we have a choice. And the choice is whether or not we will view this world in which we live as an opportunity or hurdle. Look again at the Scripture. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. They weren't commissioned to go and be evangelists. They didn't go out of them. They were scattered by persecution. They were set apart by the pain. They were being reconfigured by the hand of God. And in the process, somebody somewhere said, you know what? If I'm being scattered, I've been changed by Jesus. I'm going to continue to tell people about who Jesus is. Maybe, maybe our world would look a little different these days, six months in to a pandemic, if those of us in the church were doing less complaining about what we've lost and more sharing of the Word of God and the love of God and the peace of Christ. You see, a recalibrated mission seizes the opportunity for life change. And and Luke gives us an example. He, he tells us about Philip. Do you, do you remember when we, when we talked about the seven people who were chosen to feed the widows by the, by the Hellenistic Jews who chose them? It was Stephen, 
man full of grace and faith and the Spirit, but there was also Philip. Philip was another one of those men who was serving the widows, and, and now Philip is scattered by the persecution. Philip is having reconfiguration happen in his life through his pain, and now in the midst of it, he ends up in Samaria. Now, if you know much about the Scriptures, you know that Samaria is a place that Jesus went to. He talked to a woman at a well there. You know that Samaria was a place that Jewish people didn't like, and so Jesus chose to use a Samaritan as the key central figure, the hero, if you would, in the story of the good Samaritan and the man who was beaten up and left to die. It wasn't a, a, a cleric. It wasn't a Jewish person. No, no, it was, it was a Samaritan. And Samaritans were, they were considered, they, they were considered less than Samaritans followed the Hebrew teachings of the Old Testament. They just worshiped in a different place. And, and Philip finds himself in Samaria. And because of that, because of being in this place where there were people who, who might know about the Old Testament promise of a Messiah, in fact, what Philip knew that most of us don't know is that Samaritans were looking for a restorer. They were, they were looking for someone who would come and restore the, the, the whole country of Israel, bring it back together again and include them in the process and make everybody worship in the place they were telling the Jews, not Jerusalem, but on their mountain where they thought they were supposed to worship. No, they were looking for a restore, and, and, and Jesus had been there. Jesus had talked to some, some of them. He had shared love with them, shared grace with them, offered salvation into their homes. But now, now Philip is back in Samaria, and, and look at what happens. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did— for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. You see, a, a recalibrated mission that, that is reconfigured through a painful process, but, but comes to a place where, where we understand that God can use us, that God can, can make a difference with our life and in our life, that that, that kind of, of recalibrated mission seizes the opportunities that are placed before us to love people in the name of Jesus, to share mercy and grace and forgiveness in the name of Jesus, even to people who are different, even to people who are from another race, even for people who are from another set of social mores, from people who are from all over the world. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, if we in the, in the church could, could move past our own sense of loss to a sense of embracing this mission, maybe the mission, if we chose to accept it, could see more of the kind of thing Stephen saw, the kind of thing where, where the the spirits that oppose the Spirit of Christ, the, the people who stand in resistance to the activity of God, could see the love of God, could see the, could see the power of Jesus, could see, him, could see Him make a difference in their life. And if they did, maybe, just maybe, a recalibrated mission would do the same thing in a pandemic world that it did in Samaria and Judea by the scattered disciples. 
You see, a recalibrated mission impacts the culture with joy. It, it, it brings new life. It brings freshness. But, but if you're so wrapped up in your fear that you can't see the joy, then you miss the recalibration. You miss the mission. You don't accept the mission. It's yours if you accept it, but if you don't accept it, it doesn't happen in your life. Uh, several years ago, I, I was invited along with a, a group of about a dozen or dozen and a half other pastors from around the country to, uh, to by Compassion International, to, to tour their child sponsorship program in Guatemala. And when we arrived from all over the U.S. into Guatemala, they gathered us at the hotel for a dinner, and they began to explain the different places we would go and see. And they said, and tomorrow we're going to put you on a bus, and we're going to take you into a city. Now, you need to know this town, it's grown exponentially over the last five years. People are actually living in like lean-to shacks because people are coming there because of the, of the pain and the problem that they're having. But you need to know that we have to be careful when we go there because it's gang-infested, and there's a lot of drugs and a whole lot of stuff going on. So, so we just want you to be careful. Stay with the group go where we want to go. And so the next morning we get on the bus and, and they take us there. And, and when they pull us through the city streets and they're narrow and there are people everywhere and, and you can see the signs of gang activity and drug addiction just literally on the streets as you're, as you're driving through, you could feel the tension in the bus because we'd been warned about what was going to be there. And then as we pulled up to the place where they were going to show us all of these children, just as we pulled up, suddenly there was, there was like the sound of gunfire. And, it, and guys, preachers on the bus, we're all like ducky behind the seats. I mean, we're literally hiding behind the seats, peering out the windows. The driver is very cautious before he opens the door. And then suddenly, as the gunfire continues... We hear laughter and children, and we see balloons and confetti, and it wasn't gunfire, it was fireworks. And these children, 150 to 200 children, had gotten together and they had created a celebration because their sponsors from America were coming to their home and their church and their neighborhood. There was such joy in those children, and if I was being really honest with you, such chagrin in those pastors <laughs> and your pastor, <laughs> because we let our fear for just a moment rob us of what God had planned for us to do. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are gracious and we were able to see the joy. I tell you that story because I honestly believe that the recalibrated mission impacts the culture with joy so that there is much joy in the places where the people of God accept the mission of God, even when it looks impossible. So this morning, my question for you is, will you allow God to recalibrate your mission? Even, even if it's through the pain, even if it's through the darkness of a tunnel, don't jump off the train. Trust the engineer.